1: What the why statement does that I love, it gives me a basis to answer every single question that comes in front of me. That at my age, this is the best part of my life. And it is. This is the best teaching I've ever done right now. You write first with your heart, and you revise with your brain. I believe... That uh, good literature has a spirit. Sometimes I need only to stand wherever I am to be blessed. Laughter gives you the power to think straight. Jeff Baxter
0: is a graduate of the University of Kansas with bachelor's degrees in education in English and a master's degree in secondary education. He also has a Juris Doctorate from Washburn University School of Law. Mr. Baxter has taught every level and grade of middle and high school students in his 30 plus years of teaching, from non-readers to national merit finalists. He is passionate about teaching but it took an epiphany when he was practicing law to realize why he believes you cannot be your best in any profession especially teaching if you do not know your why in his career jeff has taught at a small catholic high school leavenworth high school for 26 years and blue valley west high school for the last three he's taught ap language ap literature speech debate drama video productions and composition as a fellow of the national writing project and teaching consultant with Greater Kansas City Writing Project, he has presented hundreds of workshops to middle and high school teachers and college professors throughout the Midwest. He has been a keynote speaker and workshop presenter at numerous national conventions. In 2015, Jeff Baxter was a Global Education Fellow and spent two weeks in Peru working with teachers and students. The last two days he climbed to Machu Picchu. Rigor, relevance, and relationships are the key to Jeff's classroom success. The past year, he completed a book which began as a writing activity with his students. The book deals with a difficult time in his life when he weighed 460 pounds and went through a period of depression. Over the course of five years, Jeff recovered from the depression and lost 250 pounds. The book, More Than One Way Home, was published in February of 2018. Mr. Baxter is also the 2014 Kansas Teacher of the Year, and in 2018, Jeff Baxter was inducted into the National Teachers Hall of Fame. There are never more than five teachers each year to receive this honor. I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to sit down with Jeff for an hour and a half conversation. He just oozes wisdom and fills me with such a sense of purpose and direction. You can tell that he totally embodies the lessons he teaches, and I love it. Jeff's guidance has been invaluable in my decisions to enter into my teacher residency program here in KIPP in San Francisco. Uh, Jeff's been a mentor to me in so many ways and it's been our meetings over the past year that have inspired me to take this leap into education. I met Jeff at the suggestion of our mutual friend and my former art teacher Mr. Bradley LeDuc. I had just taken my LSAT and was deciding about going to law school but I was thinking twice because I felt so much joy teaching with my students in Thailand and then substitute teaching in Topeka. Jeff is someone That has done both, law and teaching, and I've come with any and all curiosities to Jeff, and he's answered me with humility, strength, wisdom, and grace. He gives so much to others and has so many students that stay in touch with him, yet somehow I also feel so special. I trust that you'll enjoy the many fruitful benefits to unpacking the mind of one of the best educators of all time in the United States. Enjoy this riveting interview in his classroom in Kansas City with today's person of purpose, Jeff Baxter.
1: Hi, Jeff. Hello. How are you doing?
0: I'm great. Thank you for inviting me into your classroom. It's wonderful to get to see your your haven here.
1: See where I live. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a second home. Oh, it's wow. a second home.
0: Cool. Well, yeah, we just had some lunch together here in Kansas City, where he works at Blue Valley West High School, and I think that was maybe our fifth lunch we've had together.
1: I think that's about right. This I was definitely the shortest right. lunch we have. Very much as <laughs> we're coming here. <laughs> well, it was close to where we needed to be.
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I met I met you when um, Mr. Laduke, Brad Laduke, who's now right. my he was my art teacher in high school, and now he's my friend. He kind of just offhandedly suggests that I talk to you because I was trying to figure out if I should go to law school or teaching school, and you are someone that have, has done both. Had done both. Um, and he was right, dude. It's been super helpful to get to know you, and yep. I feel very clear in my direction right now. and
1: We've had some good conversations.
0: Yeah. Thank you. And some of the books you've told me to read, so yep. you're part of the reason I started my podcast. Cool. I've been so excited to have you as a guest for a long time. Yeah. We tried to do it last winter and you had a snow day.
1: This is a little bit better day than that day. Yeah, it's beautiful. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. and then I left for Thailand so we couldn't connect then. So it's good to be back?
1: Yep, good to have you back.
0: Thanks. So when I first met you, you, you talked a lot about purpose behind your teaching and how you've explored your career. Um, And you talk about, in this book that you wrote, too, about how important your relationship with your grandma was, how instrumental that was in your growth. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What what did that feel like, and how has that relationship with your grandma influenced your purpose?
1: I guess uh, your listeners should know, um, when I was born, my mother had tuberculosis. And uh, at the time, uh, people really didn't know how to deal with people that were tuberculosis Or their offspring. And so I was whisked away from her at birth. And uh, my dad was working, and the only person who could do anything with me was my grandmother. Mm -hmm. And um, so basically, the first four years of my life, I was raised by my grandmother. And I uh, didn't know really what that fully meant until uh, we began having conversations. And uh, they began pretty early. She's, she's the one that I uh, bonded with. And uh, I'd come to my grandmother with complaints or questions or uh, uh, good or bad moods. And want to talk with her about it, and she'd never give me answers. She'd give me something to read, and then we'd talk about it. And I could figure out the answers rather than just being told, this is the answer, this is what you do. And uh, sometimes it would be a poem. Uh, As I was beginning to grow up, they were uh, children's books. Uh, But as I got older, really probably about six or seven, uh, she began giving me big people stuff.
0: Big people books.
1: And... um, uh, a lot of times a poem, it may be a scene from a play, it uh, could be a chapter from a book, uh, and then we'd talk about it, and I'd be so interested in that chapter, I'd go ahead and read the book. And uh, so she called those meaningful conversations. Yeah. And so basically, I grew up, I think as I look back on it, being trained to be an English teacher. And uh, we just had lots and lots of times together like that. There's I, I've, In my book, I've told a number of those uh, stories, probably four or five stories that directly related to particular uh, pieces of poetry. Uh, but there were many, many, many uh, of those kinds of things. So that's essentially how I grew up, loving to read, liking to talk about things, and I look forward to those times.
0: Yeah. So you say that your purpose, or your why, is to do justice, practice kindness, and walk humbly so that those in charge, in my charge, might strive valiantly, might thoughtfully, and dare greatly. Right. How did these poems um, bring about this idea for yourself?
1: The, uh, I really didn't think of, of my why until some years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, when I first went to uh, University of Kansas was kind of a surprise. I'd gotten a, uh, the appointment to the United States Naval Academy. That's what I had been working uh, throughout high school to do. Uh, and I got the appointment. Um, and I'm about two weeks from leaving for Annapolis. And I get a letter from them disqualifying me from service because of my hearing. Hmm. And so I wondered, what in the heck am I going to do now? And um, I happened to get KU's last basketball scholarship, so now I knew what I was going to do. Uh, when I went to KU, I uh, had planned to major in biology and uh, become a doctor mm-hmm. despite my grandmother's teaching. In elementary school, junior high, and high school, I never had a male English teacher.
0: Wow,
1: and. Somehow, I think I thought, that's not something men do. And um, I didn't have, I had uh, female uh, English teachers uh, my first year at KU. Uh, The beginning of the second year, I had to have one more class to fulfill my English requirements. And that was a retired Marine. And uh, it was 19th century American fiction. And the first thing that we read was Moby Dick. And it was incredible. By the end of that week, I called my grandmother and told her I know what I'm going to do now. And so uh, I made the decision at that point in time to major in English and uh, become an English teacher uh, at that point in time. Um, Practiced uh, uh, teaching for uh, nine years. Um, I coached basketball. Um, I was a good teacher. Uh, I found out since then I was a better teacher than I thought I was. Um, But I really didn't know exactly why. I I, I knew that I liked it. I knew that it brought me joy. But if you had asked me, what is my purpose at that point in time, I'm not sure I could have told you. Uh, It was just something I liked doing because I love literature. Um, And so to please... Uh my in-laws, uh, who thought that teaching wasn't as noble as it should be, uh, as a profession should be, uh, I went to law school. And uh, I practiced law for uh, about 12 years. And uh, I had been working on one case, uh, many other cases at the same time, but one particular case that really uh, took a huge amount of my time. I I, I look back and think I was probably um, at work 17 hours a day, seven days a week working on this case. And uh, one day, July 28, 1994, I can remember it like it was yesterday, uh, I collapsed when I was walking back from the courthouse. And... um, the, I remember waking up in the emergency room and I could hear the doctor and nurses talking and I wanted to answer them, but I couldn't move my mouth. And uh, I remember thinking at the time I'm dying, I wasn't, but I remember thinking that's what I was. Brian. And uh, I said at that point in my mind, Lord, if you will let me live, I'll go back and do that, which brings me joy. And, uh, of course, I did. By the end of that week, I began the process of getting back into being an English teacher, being a teacher. I call that my epiphany. And that's when I began to understand my why. And uh, at that point in time, I think I would have told you, Uh, it's a way that I can make a difference in young people's lives. It's a way that I can make a difference. I knew that I had a connection uh, with uh, students uh, where I could help them see things, uh, help them appreciate uh, that literature isn't something in a textbook, that it was written for a living, breathing purpose. Uh, And I could help them with their writing. And I've connected with people in the last four years that I taught way back then. And I was doing that. And it was a process of learning, here is my purpose. And the more I thought about it, and I do a lot of reflecting, and, and, and as I got back into the classroom, I especially did that. And over time, okay, I began to put together, this is my why statement. This is why I do something. And uh, it began with just, uh, there, there's a, 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 a beautiful uh, passage from the Bible, the Old Testament, where um, the uh, prophet is asked, what, what, how can you please the Lord? And the answer is, do justice, practice kindness, walk humbly. And I thought, that is exactly what I want to do. And then over a period of time, I ran into a, uh, about uh, five years ago, five or six years ago, a uh, wonderful um, thinker. I'm not sure how else you describe Simon Sinek, S I N E K. And uh, he has a book called Start with Why. And so then I began thinking, I need to build this into a here's my to statement. I need to have a so that clear statement. And that's when I developed the entire statement Wow. to do that. I take my senior students through the process, and it takes, I do it really slowly. It may take six weeks before they get to the point of this is my why statement. Uh, Because we do a lot of writing, a lot of exploring to find out that which they're really passionate about. Uh, And then figure out why they're passionate about it what they can do with it. And uh, students tell me it helps them a lot to think about this is what I want to major in. This is what I want to do. As opposed to just doing something that their parents want them to do. Right. And uh, it becomes a, a different kind of focus. And so uh, that's part of what I do with uh, the seniors that I teach is we they find out what their why is.
0: Yeah, and in the process of you helping them find their why, you are doing justice right? Exactly, finance, exactly.
1: What the why statement does that I love, it gives me a basis to answer every single question that comes in front of me. Hmm. Every single event that happens, whether it's, in the world, a world headline or something that happens nationally or something that happens at our school, uh, it gives me a basis to understand that. How do I respond? And it may not be all three. It may be at this point in time, I need to practice kindness. Uh, I've discovered, especially in the last five years, kindness may be the absolute most powerful character quality. And I think often we tend to look at it as something that's kind of maybe a sign of weakness huh. to treat somebody kindly. Uh, but it is incredibly powerful. If you want to make a statement about a particular issue, uh, doing, uh, doing a response out of kindness is pretty powerful. Uh, often, if you really think about Martin Luther King, how often were his responses to horrible things that were right. happening... An act of kindness, and um, and also to just kind of dealing with justice. What what does that mean? Uh, what is justice? Uh, I've I've thought about that a lot when I was at Leavenworth High School. Um, Leavenworth has uh, uh, about a third of their students that are way at the top, and they had about have about a third that are way at the bottom, and they have very little in the middle. Huh. And so you're, you're dealing with a pretty challenging uh, socioeconomic basis. Uh, and while that is not necessarily the case in uh, Blue Valley, uh, it is unbelievable. I, uh, the, 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 the diversity of students that I have in my classes, it's just incredible. There's something like 78 different languages wow. that are spoken at home in this school district. Uh, I do uh, writing activities with students, and I can't tell you how many times I have found that a student here, parents, is one generation away from waking up to gunfire in the morning. Uh, So uh, it's a huge diversity. And uh, I see students from all over the world here that are American citizens that are just doing incredible, incredible things. Um, uh, and, uh, so, uh, that's a justice issue, uh, that, that, that we talk about, uh, and, uh, uh, dealing with those kinds of things. So, uh, gives you, and I'm always thinking about, uh, in terms of walking humbly, uh, my dad was the, what was an incredible model of humility and, uh, of, uh, not doing things to uh, draw attention to yourself, uh, not letting your ego get in the way of solution. Uh, and so I had a really good model for that as I was growing uh, growing up. And it's something that uh, uh, I, I I don't draw attention to myself. Uh, I'd rather that the students get the credit that the uh, uh, what they've done be uh, what we celebrate.
0: Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I agree with that, especially what you said about
1: humility and
0: how once you get past your own sense of ego, then the world becomes something that you can look at a little differently. Right. Um, and you can infuse purpose in it and, and still have your passions be carried out, but you do it for others. Right. Which is Absolutely. where the purpose comes from. What does purpose mean to you?
1: Purpose? is uh i uh, i i think i can most uh answer that question i discovered that teaching was a calling Uh, some people are called to do other things i believe i was called Uh, i i view teaching as my calling Mm -hmm. it's something i'm meant to do and when you focus on your purpose If my purpose was to become wealthy, I would not be a teacher. Mm -hmm. But because I can say my purpose is to do justice, practice kindness, walk humbly Mm -hmm. with the students that I teach, money isn't the issue, okay? That's never the issue. I'm doing well, my family's happy. Uh, we can do the things that we want to do, but money was never my purpose in becoming a teacher. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it changes when you know what your purpose is and know what your focus is. It changes how you respond to so much. And uh, uh, I think it's uh, part of my role is to uh, model those things as opposed to saying, now, wait a second. You need to be kinder. Uh, I don't do that. Uh, the, the the students see examples of that uh, in the classroom, outside the classroom, the things that we do.
0: Yeah. So you try to be an example of the things that you want to be, and that causes you to be to be those, and to inspire right. others to be those because you're a real person doing it, and that's right? An idea that you.
1: And it's the kind of thing where, where, where I'm comfortable telling them, here's some real screw-ups that I did. Here's some real mistakes that I've made. Right. And uh, things that didn't didn't work out. And you mm-hmm. learn from those things. Um, one of the things I talk about uh, early on in my classes, and especially talk about with parents early on when the school year begins, uh, in the classroom, in my classroom, we have a culture, what I call a culture of failure. And what I really mean by that is I want students to be comfortable trying something new, trying something um, that they may never have thought about before without fearing uh, that their failure is a mark on them. I want them to learn that you try things and you make mistakes and then you try again. Uh, no one expects a, an athlete to be 100% successful all the time. Uh, great athletes learn by failing. That's the neat thing about a game is you know you have another one so you can improve. I think we need to really practice that in the classroom. I think we need to be comfortable uh, with that. Uh, That's how you develop persistence, that's how you develop determination, Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, so that's a quality that I want students to work on in here. I don't want them to fear not getting something right.
0: Right. So I want to start, I want to talk about some of the things you do to draw that purpose Uh for kids. First, I want to focus a little bit more on you still in the beginning. Uh Um, You just just mentioned persistence. You wrote in your bio that you sent me that you used to be 460 pounds. Yeah. And now you've lost 250 of that. Yep. How does purpose and persistence play a role in in that?
1: Yeah. I love teaching. Uh, I am 70 years old. I don't want to stop. I know that I need to be in really good physical condition to keep doing this. Uh, I don't want to be in a walker. Uh, I set goals for uh, my physical health, uh, have a trainer that I work with, uh, and it's important that I am healthy, that I am alert, uh, that I can do the things that I want to do to inspire students. Uh, I don't want them to think of me as old. Uh, I want them to see that at my age, this is the best part of my life. And it is. This is the best teaching I've ever done right now. Uh, It's something that uh, I work harder at now than I have ever before. Um, My students know uh, that I get here to this classroom really early in the morning. Uh, Starbucks, that's about a quarter of a mile from here, has uh, thought about charging me office hours because I can't tell you how many times I meet students at 6.15 in the morning to work with an essay, to help them uh, with a uh, problem or uh, whatever, or to discuss issues that they uh, that they have. Um, and I need to be in really good physical condition to do that. And uh, so it was important that I lose that weight. Uh my students knew it was important, and when I was getting back into good physical condition, uh, I'd have groups of students that would join me to to walk around the high school track where I every Sunday morning where I worked out, uh, just to uh, encourage me and keep me uh, uh, keep me going, keep wow. me on target. Uh,
0: How do you think you get kids to connect to you so much that they want to root for you and be involved in your sense of purpose?
1: Because I'm rooting for them, and they know that. They know that that matters more to me to help them than any benefit I'm going to get. Uh, It uh, it matters to them. Um, And uh, uh, they matter to me. you know, I, I think, you know, I, I look at from 2003 on, we went through this phase of testing the bejesus out of kids. And they'd be tested, you know, two and three times a year. And it, uh, as I went around the different schools, schools were changing in their schedule time to teach kids how to take tests. Uh, and that teach them how to take these state assessments and stuff was going to give higher performance on the test, but, but learning wasn't happening. And um, that bothered me from the ver- from the beginning uh, of that. If you want to look, what, is, what are the qualities that are going to get young people ready to succeed in their adult life? Taking lots of tests is not it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the research tells us that. The thing that matters more than anything is character qualities. Things like determination and persistence, Uh, grit is a popular term now, Um, learning how to make decisions uh, and how to prepare yourself to succeed. And those are the qualities that uh, really uh, get kids ready to succeed uh, in their adult life. And so that's what I want to focus on in my classroom. We focus. Uh, I, I don't. I don't have lessons. Okay. Now we're going to have a character lesson today. Uh, everything we do has to do with character in my classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that we do, uh, and everything that we talk about, uh, and how we talk about it. Right. And so uh, I'm building that quality in students from the time they walk into classroom. Yeah.
0: Uh- How do you get kids to open up to you so that you actually get to know them where they are so that you can kind of measure where they're going to?
1: That takes a while. Uh, Really, the the, the number one focus when school starts for about the first three weeks is just developing trust and uh, uh, learning uh, about the kids. And a lot of that comes through writing. We do uh, five to ten minutes of writing at the beginning of every class. And uh, in the first quarter, a lot of those have to do with them reflecting about their life uh, and telling stories about that and connecting with stories. And, uh, and then we talk about that. When students come in my classroom, every day the first thing on the to-do list, uh, what we're going to do is questions. Uh, I begin every class with that. And, and whatever questions the students have, that's where we take off. Um, and uh, sometimes it's questions about things that they read or things that they've written about or something that happened at uh, school or uh, in Topeka or in Washington. Uh, and so we'll talk about those things. Uh, and so it's developing a comfort level. They can trust me. I can trust them. Uh, and finding out who each other really is mm-hmm. and uh, what's so, an
0: assignment that you do to draw out some, some more depth like what are these one of, the, f- one of the
1: first assignments we do as an example uh, is an exercise that I call neighborhood map and I want them to draw a map of their neighborhood when they were eight or nine years old and uh, I want them to label it and we take gosh 30, 45 minutes, I just take them through the process in their composition notebook of drawing a large map, and the names of the streets, and where they lived, uh, where was the alleyway, uh, what stores were nearby, uh, who lived in what houses, and they spend a lot of time drawing that map, uh, when, like I say, eight or nine years old. And I like to do it at that age because we all know we did stupid, goofy things when we were eight or nine years old. Right. So it's non-threatening. Then I have them go through the process. Okay, identify on your neighborhood map where five episodes in your young life took place, and they'll make a, they'll indicate with numbers one, two, three, four, five, and then they'll have a legend. They may say number one may be fell out of the tree. Uh, uh, number two, you know, uh, could, they'll have five different things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Halloween with the, the next door witch. Uh, but they'll have that. Then I have them select one of those things, tell me that story. And uh, they write the story.
0: What kind of stories have you gotten?
1: And I, pardon me?
0: What kind of stories have you gotten? Oh
1: gosh, just amazing, amazing stories. Some of them are hilarious. <laughs> Some of them are pretty pretty powerful, uh, and um, uh, just about a lot of different things that happened uh, to them, and and then we'll take that and we'll start then talking about now let's talk about introductions, and we'll talk about that. And I write with my students every time I have them do an assignment, I do it too, mm-hmm. and I'll do mine on the uh, smart board. A lot of times, so they can see me struggling. They can see me working with it. They can see me changing words. We'll talk about introductions, uh, and then we'll work on that for a while. They'll share with uh, a peer, uh, you know. I, and I teach them how to review, how to revise. Uh, one of the very first lessons that I went, when before they even do their first piece of writing in my classroom, I talk with them about: you write first with your heart and you revise with your brain. Uh, Students get stuck so often on getting started because they're trying to come up with that perfect first sentence, that perfect first paragraph, and they struggle with those first words. And So then they procrastinate because they get stuck. When you approach it from the idea of writing first with your heart, let her go. Then we go back later on with our brain and I'll start giving them techniques to reconsider revising. And revising is something other than spell check and grammar check. It's, you know, what's going to work? What's going to really connect? Mm -hmm. And we look at some things that are connecting and students share their first lines, their first paragraphs. And we talk what worked and what didn't. And we work on that. Uh, We do the same thing with conclusions. I call it the law of primacy. You remember what you first heard and what you last heard are, the, are really keys. So anyhow, as they're telling their, their stories, they're building their first writing. Uh, I don't have a particular due date. Uh, it's just, are you there yet? And then uh, we'll start coming up to a conclusion. People reach it at different times. Uh, my book took me seven years to write. And it's largely because I kept revising. Uh, until a good friend of mine said, Jeff, you have to let it go. And, uh, that's finally what I did. But, uh, with students, I want them to kind of learn how to tell these stories. Uh, they'll do another story, maybe another one on their map, or it may come from an exercise, uh, that I give them in class that kind of gets them, to, gets them started. But in the process of doing that, we're sharing stories, we're working on how to become a better writer together. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the power of stories while we're reading stories, what really works. Uh, So we're building a classroom atmosphere. Uh, And inside the first month, it's pretty well set. Now, magical things can happen. We trust each other. And that's when things really begin to fire.
0: And what are you talking about what do you mean pay, it, the fire
1: that's when we start taking on on, on much more difficult things uh, and, and it may come from uh, a novel that we read uh, it may come from an activity that I assigned them uh, uh, to do uh, uh, the uh, it may be poetry that, that that we're working on I have a theme for each quarter and everything we do is built around that theme Um uh, and so it's going to have something to do with that.
0: Cool. That's awesome. Your kids must really like having you in the classroom yeah. in this sort of way. It's and I difference. love being in
1: the classroom with them, and I think that's why it's a mutual thing. Right. Uh, it's not like, you know, I, I, I don't think of my classroom as a gas station where you kind of drive her in and say, fill it up. Uh, <laughs> I don't do that with kids. You right. know, it's something that you really work on together. Right. And, as my grandmother said, these are always meaningful conversations. Uh, they, they, I, want, I want kids to feel comfortable talking about what we're reading.
0: Right.
1: I think we do too much racing through something. Uh, I think we do too much where, where the test is uh, a multiple choice kind of test because it's easy to score as opposed to just really having a discussion about what we're reading Mm -hmm. and what does it mean. John Steinbeck never wrote a single thing with the idea, hey, one day I'll I'll get into a textbook and then I'll really have it made.
0: No, yeah.
1: You know? And so we need to discover the purpose that writers originally wrote their work for.
0: Um, And How do you go about doing that? Do you... Do you, how do you connect the kids to some of these books? Like, I don't know, it seems like when you're reading Hamlet, or like you were talking about earlier, uh-huh. you're making them create these connections that are not obviously there at the beginning.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I try to, to, to help them um, imagine the context uh, that something was written in. Uh, understand the context. Why? What is is Shakespeare saying here? One of the best things that I do with uh, uh, Shakespeare, everything I've ever done with Shakespeare, and Hamlet's a good example, is um, I show them, when Shakespeare uh, wrote his plays, and really all the plays at that particular point in time, they'd come out in what are called quartos, Mm -hmm. Which is a very small copy of the thing because they could it it was inexpensive, it was cheap. And as he's watching his plays performed, he's taking notes in those things and jotting notes down and improving it. For example, I show them his famous "To Be or Not to Be" speech in the first quarto that it came out in. Okay, when it first came. Wow. Then I show them his last draft. Okay, that is in the folio the first folio, unbelievably different. And I say, see, Shakespeare practiced write first with your heart, revise with your brain. Can you see the difference? And I think then students begin to appreciate Shakespeare was who he is, not necessarily because he was a magical genius, but because he worked really hard at it. Right. You know, and, uh, uh, you know, and so we talk about that. Um, And then they begin to see why did he make these changes? And as you begin to talk about those kinds of things, uh, you can begin to see the story clearer.
0: It seems like you have to have this ability to perceive your work in a a way that's different than maybe you yourself would perceive it, how it would be implanted in the minds of others.
1: Right. You really do. You really do. do. You changes. have to think about that. And sometimes it comes from the kids. Sometimes it, it comes from my students. Say, I, I can't tell you how much I've learned because of questions they've asked hmm. and uh, seen things totally differently uh, uh, than um, uh, I initially did. And uh, I, I think they like seeing I'm still learning. You know, I'm still learning. It's not like I have all the answers. I totally understand this. Uh, I, I, you know, and I, and, I, and I truly believe every time you read something, you see it differently. Uh, and that's because you bring your experience where you are at that point in time to what you're reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I use the example, I can remember when I used to, uh, the first time that I read To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, I was a high school sophomore, high school sophomore, and I saw everything through Jim and Scout's eyes. As I taught it taught it uh, as an adult and had kids of my own, young kids of my own, I began to see To Kill a Mockingbird through uh, Atticus' eyes, the father's eyes. And uh, it, it is the reason... Every time I teach a piece of literature, I reread it. Uh, I've never taught a piece of literature that I did not reread. And that's largely because I see new things every single time I do it. Uh, Sometimes it's... uh, I I tell my kids, I believe that uh, good literature has a spirit.
0: What does
1: that mean? And its spirit connects with you. And every time a book is read and talked about, its spirit grows. And um, uh, they learn because of that to kind of immerse themselves in what they're reading. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've had, and that's one reason I love now teaching seniors, come into my class, how many students I've had that say, you know, I really don't like reading. I really don't enjoy it. And as I look back on our school system, it seems like they really enjoy it through like fifth or sixth grade. And then we kind of begin the process of, uh, of all the testing that we do to where by the time they're seniors, they are really tired of reading. Right. And I can't tell you how many students, how many parents that I've had talk with me about, God, what are you doing? My 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 daughter loves reading this book. And the book that he was talking about at the time, I'll never forget, was Pat Conroy's The Lords of Discipline, which is about 500 pages long. And she's staying up, and the reason they contacted me about it, because she it was like 11 or 12 at night, and she was still reading the book, and that hadn't... She hadn't done that for like four years. And it's because it made it made a difference to her. And, and, and she was learning how to allow herself to kind of immerse in the story. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's an important uh, thing to do. I think some, so many times, I can I can look back at times when I would teach six and seven novels a year. Uh, today, rarely do I do more than four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Did it's you take I, a deep dive on them? Yeah, I, I mean, we really read what we read deeply. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, with great detail and, and really quality uh, discussion. Uh, and, uh, uh, and students appreciate that. I give them techniques, uh, the techniques that I use when I read and yeah. how I mark books and how I think about what I'm reading as I'm going through.
0: Can you go into some of those techniques? Like, What is your style of reading? One of
1: them. One technique that I, that I really like to ask, uh, have students do, and uh, we do it with the first book that they read, and they get in the habit because they, they've learned that it really works. At the end of every chapter, I have them go back in that chapter, what's one word that really jumped out at you? One sentence that you look back and that was meaningful and one question that you have about what you read. One word, one sentence, one question. And those questions become the questions that we, use, that we talk about in the class. The word that may have jumped out to them, and nobody ever answers that question incorrectly, mm-hmm. right? The question then becomes, why was that word significant for you? Now we're having, it's a wonderful way to bring out quality discussion. Why that sentence? Did anybody else choose that sentence? Uh, And so it's a way of taking things that come from them, and that becomes the focus of how we talk about it. Uh, And and they see me. I, I mean, I can show them here in every single thing. And they'll see, if it's something that I've read a number of times, they'll see the different words and different sentences and different questions, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, But that's a really neat uh, technique to really get deeply into what they're reading. As you then look back on a whole book, once you've done that, and you look at the questions you've been asking, what begins to happen several chapters in, your questions begin to take on uh, a depth so a when, pattern. When you're reading,
0: do you have lots of these pauses so that you can have a, a slight bit of reflection yeah. to think about what is your one word, one sentence, sure, one question? sure. And is that, is or
1: a I'll read the read the whole uh, chapter and then go back. There was something that jumped out of me, and I mean, and what you're doing when you're doing one word, one sentence, one question is you're reflecting. Mm-hmm. And so what you've read, and what I found is students remember by the time they've done this through a whole book, they really know that book because they've done that with each chapter, with each section. And uh, there becomes a pattern of what they're reading and the questions that they're asking that work together. So I don't have to say, okay, now we're going to write an essay and here's what you're going to write about. What I can say is, what did you find most interesting in this book that you could write about? So again, it's choice. Uh, I think students do really neat things when you give them choice, when you involve them, so that you're not uh, everybody's going to write about family. You know, uh, it can be whatever they have, whatever they've tracked uh, as they've read the book, um, and uh, it just it's, it's more powerful learning that way.
0: And when you're creating like essay prompts and things for grades like that. Mm-hmm. How open ended are your problems?
1: really open ended, very open ended,
0: yeah,
1: very open ended. Um, the uh, in fact, even th- there are times when I w- w- when I'll say, okay, I- I'd like you to focus on a particular um, concept. Uh, I still give them choice where they can they can change it, they can do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, the um uh, a lot of times what what I'll do with also with what we're reading is I'll put a paragraph up on the board that's from maybe the the uh, uh one of the chapters of uh, the Lords of discipline, and we'll talk about why does that paragraph work and now we're talking about language what what are some of the choices that Pat Conroy made yeah. Sometimes I try really hard to find early drafts of uh, different things that we've done, so that they can see uh, making changes. Uh, I've used my my book. uh, I've used from time to time in class because I've saved everything by drafts, Uh, so I can go back and show them. Here's my first first draft of this particular story, and here's how it ended up in the book. What Uh do you notice? What choices did I make? Why did I? Why did those work? So
0: when you're assigning a grade for their writing, is that some element of how you grade them is by how much effort they put into?
1: That can be work? it. And and here's the other thing though that 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 I do that kind of fits with that. Um, I will. They say they finally say, "Okay, here it is." They've handed in their essay, and um, I'll go through and I'll mark maybe one-third of it, uh, and uh, then I'll give a, kind of a summary uh, account at the end of the thing. Mm-hmm. They have, if they want, and I, and let's say they, they got a, um, a C-plus on it. Uh, if they revise it, if they learn from the one-third where I made comments and marked, and can apply it to the rest of the essay, hand it in to me within a week, I'll regrade it and let that grade totally replace the first grade I gave it. Wow. Now, what have I just taught them? Revision matters. Revision matters. Now, if all they did was correct what I marked, I don't give them full credit for that they can come in and talk with me before after during school about that so that they can apply it to everything else but what they've now shown me is they can apply what i was showing them to the entire paper mm-hmm. and i'll let that grade totally replace the first grade i do that all year long
0: and you're rewarding character skills absolutely
1: That's absolutely and I'm encouraging them to come in and talk with me about it. So it's not something that they've magically got to figure out on their own. Mm-hmm. I'll work with them with it, but I never mark more than one third of a paper.
0: Do you feel like that that your teaching style has been like this throughout the course of your career, or how has your teaching style changed? That
1: that really changed in the last uh, since since my epiphany. Uh, that really changed since then. Now I have always been willing and worked really hard at uh, uh, helping students learn how to revise. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I did not know how early I did this. Uh, When I was in Washington, D.C., the first part of uh, May, I got an email from a uh, teacher whose daughter goes to my high school, but she teaches in another school district. And uh, she was inviting me to uh, a guidance counselor at their, at their school's retirement party and uh, said, uh, just wanted you to see what Fred wrote about to the faculty. Mm-hmm. And she sent me a copy of what he had uh, uh, written and passed out to the faculty uh, about uh, his, his education experience. He was in 1975... He was at Leavenworth High School, and he talked about being in my study hall. And uh, he was doing nothing, didn't think that he could do a lot more than that, hoped that he'd graduate, but didn't have plans for college. And uh, so he was uh, a little bit bothered when I, when I said, nobody just sits in my class, my study hall and does nothing. And so I gave him a book. And then he ended up reading it and started talking with me about it. And I gave him another book. This is study hall. And then he started, uh, he, he uh, uh, wrote a, his essay for another teacher. And I said, do you want me to grade it? Just to give you an idea about how I think you did. And uh, he said, well, yeah. And it was a, a, a C. And he was disappointed. But he said, well, that's probably about what I'm normally getting. And I said, well, do you want me to talk with you about uh, how you could make it better and so I'd work with him uh, I did that the entire year that I had him in study hall and he's now saying as a person retiring as a guidance counselor that is why I went to college I didn't think I could do a college till I had mr. Baxter's study hall Wow okay and um, so I've always and and that's that's my grandmother's influence that is totally my grandmother's influence, uh, how she would deal with me uh, about things.
0: If you're a teacher looking for a summer job that allows you to travel as far away from the classroom as you possibly can and still make good money, I have the perfect job for you. One way I was able to spend my last year and a half living in Asia and seeing so much in North America was because I worked online. I taught English online to Chinese students through VIPKID. VIPKID is one of the fastest growing startups in China. It started in 2014 and is growing rapidly because they pay teachers well, allow you to work from anywhere in the world with a stable Wi-Fi connection, and allow you to make your own schedule amongst all kinds of other support and benefits. VIPKID uses their own platform and materials for their students that in which they place students at their appropriate levels they also do all the scheduling and payroll for you you don't have to worry about the hassles of building lessons or curriculum either because VIP kid has already done it for you classes are one-on-one video calls with students ages 5 to 12 in China you just fill in your time slots and you're good to go a class is essentially a 25 minute Skype or zoom video session with an awesome kid and you work through the activities on the slides with them The part I love is that you can work from the beach, the mountains, or any continent in the world. I've worked from Yosemite National Park, Montreal, Canada, New York City, the islands of Thailand, and the Philippines, just to name a few. Just make sure you have a stable Wi-Fi connection, and your availability aligns with the after-school hours in China. Find out for yourself why more than 40,000 teachers and 300,000 students teach and learn with VIPKID and explore the greater world around you without having to forgo your paycheck. Trust me, the 20 to 30 bucks an hour will go a long way in most countries. So what are you waiting for? Sign up today and start teaching as often as you wish. If you have a bachelor's degree are a native English speaker from North America and have teaching experience, experience can be loosely applied, you stand a strong shot with this rapidly expanding company. You don't have to be a formal teacher. The key is experience in teaching. VIPKID will certainly open up your world like it has mine. To get started, just follow the links I've included in the episode show notes and sign up with my referral code 0275KC. And we'll both get up to $100 in rewards once you teach your first class. Share culture. Open up the world for your students, and begin your paid vacation today with VIP Kid. And I remember you telling me a different story um, along the same vein about some kid you used to pick up on the way to work. Oh yeah,
1: Maurice. Yeah. Do you mind sharing that? Yeah. Um, My first, uh, uh, I did my student teaching, and at that point in time, when I was doing my student teaching, it was only eight weeks long. And (laughs) I think now, oh my Lord, nobody can be ready to teach after only eight weeks of student teaching. And uh, I finished on a Friday, and as a fortune would happen, um, a a teacher at a small Catholic high school uh, decided to go with her husband to Korea, so a job opened up, and the very next Monday I'm in the classroom teaching. And one of the first things that I discovered was uh, as I would drive to uh, uh, work was well, I saw this skinny, gawky, kind of odd-looking kid walking to school. And, so, and it was where I was teaching, so I began to pick him up. And, uh, and sometimes I'd give him rides home. Uh, and my wife and I began uh, inviting him over Uh, to our house on Friday evening because he just didn't seem that he was fitting in with anybody. And we'd have pizza together, and then we'd go to the football game. Found out that his dad, uh, African American, was in prison, federal prison in Leavenworth. Uh, His mother was white, and she had abandoned him, so he was living with an uncle. And so we just began to just kind of try to encourage him every step that we could. And I thought, Lord, he is never going to graduate from high school. And somehow we got him through. Uh, he had a, a very odd-looking afro, and he had uh, the most piercing blue eyes I, uh, you know, I'd, I'd ever seen. And uh, he graduates, and then we completely lose track of him. And I had no idea what he did afterwards. Uh, it's now about seven years later and I'm practicing law and uh, I get a call back from our receptionist uh, that a, a young man named Jamal is there to see me and uh, I said I don't know a Jamal and she said he says he knows you and that you know him and I said Well, send him on back so we started walking back to uh, my room office was at the end of the, the, the building, and uh, I can see this handsome, well-built guy walking back, and when he was about uh, 10 yards away from me, I could see his eyes, and I knew it was Maurice. I, didn't, I never knew that Jamal was his middle name, um, and he uh, wanted to stop by to thank me, let, let me know what, what had happened. And while he flipped burgers and did things like that the first few years after high school, uh, what I had been encouraging with as far as reading and writing and thinking and how to work for uh, things, uh, he went back to uh, community college and completed two years. And he was so encouraged by that. Uh, He was living in Connecticut at the time. Uh, that he ended up getting a, um, a sociology degree from University of Connecticut. And at that point in time, he was a model for Ralph Lauren. Uh, married uh, with a little girl, and his wife was completing her internship as a doctor. Uh, and uh, I, I've, I've told others that was the point in time when I decided I would never, ever give up on a student. Never. Uh, sometimes as a teacher we plant seeds and we never see them grow. Uh, and that happens at different points in time. Uh, uh, thank goodness it happened for Maurice.
0: Oh, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, that's, that's one of my, my fun stories. One of the things that he gave me when he came back to see me just a few weeks later, Was this, uh, and at that point in time, I was beginning to be a pretty big guy. And he gave me this huge Ralph Lauren Polo red sweatshirt. And gosh, that has been at least maybe close to 30 years. I still have that sweatshirt, (laughs) it is holy, it is soft. Uh, I will, uh, it's been washed so many times, but it's the first thing I put on in the morning when I get up out of bed, uh, to just kind of enjoy around the house and go out in the deck and read. I still have that sweatshirt. So warmth is the word that comes Yeah. On. Yeah. And softness. There's nothing like a uh, sweatshirt that's been washed for 30 years. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, my wife is, God, we've got to get rid of that. And I said, no, there's no way in heck. And I'll take it to seamstresses, and they'll sew up things and put on patches, you know, so I can keep wearing it. And uh, uh, it's about that point in time where I'm probably going to have to do that again. <laughs>
0: so has has following this journey into teaching and, and knowing your why and your purpose has that caused you to cause you to be like a sweatshirt that's been washed thirty years? Yeah, <laughs> you, like you get softer yeah. and softer. That's,
1: there's a metaphor there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, that's that that's something like it. I had, I had a discussion oh, a couple weeks ago uh, with a uh, young lady who's going to be student teaching with me this fall.
0: I'm jealous and, of that. Uh, that sounds great. Pardon me? I'm jealous of that. Yeah. That sounds like a great experience.
1: Uh, she is uh, 22 years old, uh, a gymnast, a cheerleader at K-State, and... Uh, Uh, we were sitting down uh, talking about uh, this thing, and I said, you know, what questions do you have? And she said, the only thing that scares me is classroom management. Mm -hmm. And uh, it took me back, I mean, just like that, you know, 48 years. I'm three times her age. And um, to that was something that really bothered me, that I was worried about. Uh, because you're so close, when you're 22, you're four years off from the age of most of the seniors that you're teaching. Yeah. yeah. And how do you handle that? How you do that? And I remember telling her, I said, "You're going to do fine. We're going to work on this. I've been through this myself." And uh, so, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna help her know how to deal with uh, uh, to uh, deal with all of that.
0: So what? Yeah, I'm going into teaching, obviously. Uh-huh what tips do you have for classroom management
1: yeah uh you need to know who you are uh you're not going to be their best friend you're gonna you want to be someone that they can trust that they can have a good relationship with but you need to remember that you have a teacher-student relationship and um uh, there are certain expectations with that and that really uh, comes down to your integrity uh, and you're valuing that person uh, for who they who they can become um, and so uh, you you want to think of it more than being classroom management be i am in control mind me or else mm-hmm. When you do that with uh, seniors, I think you're inviting trouble. Uh, Classroom management really has to do with getting students thinking, having meaningful assignments, having uh, things that are going on in your classroom that are relevant to what you're teaching. And if you do that and you keep them on track with that, you will have classroom management you'll have classroom management. As soon as you begin to act like one of them, you're going to lose control of the class, okay? Because now they're going to think of you just like another friend in the classroom. And uh, so it's really important to to keep the roles that you play in mind.
0: So, like, what does that look like if... You, you talk about how after a month of, of your classroom, everything is able to roll just, just perfectly well. Right. Um, it seems like they might be able to tell you about what they're doing on their weekend and what their mom yeah. is telling them and, you know, some hot topic that's happening in the news and they yeah. give their opinion and they make jokes and laugh and you right. laugh along. Yeah. What, what is that? Is it a distance you're creating with them? What it is- could be.
1: It could be. You just, you just need to remember who you are. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who are you? What is, you know, um, uh, how do I practice kindness with this? Uh, how do I walk humbly with this? Uh, what, is, what is your why? Mm-hmm. Will help you understand how you respond to those things. I love to laugh with my students. I love to laugh with my students. Uh, I, I won't laugh at them. Uh, And there's a difference. Uh, I I I want to enjoy the things that they're doing. Um, I had uh, in my third or fourth year of teaching uh, when I went left the small Catholic school and I went to Leavenworth High School. uh, And by this time I'm 25, and uh, I can remember uh, having a couple of young ladies, seniors. In my classes that began to um, uh, have a crush on me and a couple things that I'm, I'm fortunate I ha- I've got a, a, a really bright wife uh, <laughs> how, how, how I needed to respond to that um, and, uh, I, and one of the things was I don't want to put myself in a compromising situation. Uh, I don't want to, uh, I want to be gracious, I want to be kind, I want to be encouraging, but I also don't want to in, uh, uh, deepen the crush. And I want to be sure that, th- that, th- that those things, are, that, that, is, that that is separate. And uh, so there are ways that you can respond to that. There are ways that you can talk. I, I did not want to distance her uh, and over a period of time. Uh, and as I would talk about my wife, and, and I, th- I, I guess I should be fair to my wife. Uh, I remember the first time that I, uh, my wife and I went to a, a, an after football game dance um, at uh, my first assignment, at the small Catholic high school. And I went over to talk with a couple of the teachers. My wife was kind of talking with somebody, and all of a sudden I look over, and two of the senior students in my class were hitting on my wife. And Because uh, <laughs> my wife is gorgeous. And uh, 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 when they saw me walk over, I said, boy, how do you know her? And I said, this is my wife. See the wedding ring? And wow. uh, we had a, a good chuckle out of it, and uh, uh, the students were, uh, uh, responded appropriately as they, uh, they, they took that. But uh, I think you need, you need to just be clear in your mind who you are, what your responsibility is in this relationship, um, and uh, trust yourself to respond appropriately. Mm-hmm.
0: And you talked about part of that element of of the relationship is looking at them as who they can
1: become. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And often you can see those things uh, better than they can. Uh, And I'll tell you something else. One of the things that happens as you do the The, the writing, uh, I try to encourage students to learn that the writing that they do in class, one of the functions of writing is to clarify your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Forget handing it in or doing something for a grade. Sometimes the best way to clarify things in your mind is to write about it. And there, there, there's something that happens when, when you do that that will help you see things clearer. And uh, students do that. I can't tell you how many students I've heard from several years after they graduate tell me that they still write in their composition notebook every day. That's become a habit. Uh, it's, it's how they think. Do you write every day? Yes, absolutely. In your phone or you notebook day. or what? Uh, I have a, what I call a composition notebook. I don't know if I've got any of those in my room right now. Um, but I like to get the ones that have the sewn spine mm-hmm. as opposed to the one that have the wire things because the, the paper falls apart and it tears apart and the wires get right. ugly. And the thing is, those that, that are that have the sewn seam down the middle are the cheapest, and they're the strongest. Uh, you can get them for fifty cents at Walmart, uh, and uh, those are the ones that I like to have students get.
0: Yeah. So, what kind of environments are you reading and writing in? Like, where do you find um, quiet, peace, calm place to do these things?
1: I have uh, I have an office in our home uh And that's a comfortable place for me to write. Uh, another place I enjoy writing is out on our deck uh, I, I, in my book in the Eula, the um, uh, very end of the book, the uh, epilogue that is described from the viewpoint of our deck. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's a comfortable place for me to write. Those are the two places that I enjoy writing.
0: That's the cover too, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, the cover is actually the front porch of my grandmother's house. Mm,
0: okay.
1: And um, um, I always, if I'm writing something that ultimately may end in publication, or if I'm just writing to clarify thoughts, uh, I always do that by hand. I always do that with... Uh, Uh, ink, uh, with a pen, and my first drafts of everything I've ever written, especially everything that was in that book, was handwritten. Uh, After I do that, then I can use a computer, and I can begin working with a computer with it, Uh, but I have just kind of a process. I write early in the morning. It's one of the reasons I like getting up early. It's quiet. I get a good period of time.
0: What time do you get up every day?
1: About four, four thirty. Oh my every day, yeah.
0: How did you develop that? habit?
1: Um, again, my grandmother, my grandmother believed what she always re- uh, described it as uh, uh, believed in the the uh, rising sun. Uh, best the best day, best of the day begins with the rising sun. And so I've always gotten up early, always. And uh, now, uh, I mean I, even a little bit earlier, I'm typically falling asleep around 9 o'clock, um, uh, you know, or so, something around that time. Uh, but I'm up 4, 4.30 every day. Um, and, it, and, I, and I love it. It's quiet. That's when I'll do my reading. It's when I'll do my thinking. Uh, I'll, it's when I'll, I'll, I'll read poetry. Uh, I love reading uh, Mary Oliver uh, poetry. Uh, especially in the morning I just love how she thinks and, um, and so that I just kind of have a, a habit of how I go about the process of waking What's
0: up. What's a recent line from a Mary Oliver poem? Um,
1: one of my favorite lines uh, of her poetry is sometimes I need only to stand wherever I am to be blessed and I can't tell you how many times I've thought about that you can be blessed anywhere and uh, so I think of uh, uh, I love that line of poetry I always uh, with the the seniors that I teach the very first thing they read to begin the fourth quarter and for seniors the fourth quarter is tough Uh, so many of them have checked out they know they're going to graduate so I've always saved what I think is my best assignment for them for the last quarter, something that they'll really want to work on. And the very first thing that I have them read to begin that quarter is Mary Oliver's poem, The Journey. And it's just an incredible, elegant, beautiful poem about life's journey. And so I have them, I want you to think about this poem as a comment on where you are right now in your life's journey. Mm -hmm. I want you to think this poem is about you. Can you see yourself in it? And it's just a really powerful uh, uh, poem. And it begins their process, because what I'll have them do, I want you to reflect on who you were as an entering freshman into high school and who you are now. Mm how have you changed? And uh, I tell them, you can pick the format. I'm not telling you what the format is. You can invent a new format. And it's it's easily the assignment that my students work the hardest on. Yeah. Some students, uh, I've had students write it uh, as a series of poems. I've had students write it as a dear 15-year-old me letter. They, they're writing a letter to that person that was the entering freshman. Uh, they, they invent the form and they are incredible. Uh, but, uh, and
0: they draw a lot of inspiration from the form of this poem. Oh, yeah. Return.
1: Oh, yeah. And the questions that you have to answer as you read that poem.
0: Right. Yeah, th- this was one of the first things you assigned me to read after our meeting. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I have it here on my phone. Yeah. It's. It, it seems like, yeah, it, it seems like it's talking about some level of, like, inner authenticity you have and determination to stand strong to that. Exactly. Like, regardless of what um, all the voices around you are saying. Exactly. Um, Exactly. That's the best thing you can do to save your life. Oh, Lord, yes.
1: And the students see, I'm responsible for my life. You know, I can't live the life somebody else wants me to live. I'm responsible for it. Right. And so they have to answer those questions. Uh, and, And again, the thing I love about that is now we're talking about not just a piece of literature to answer some prompt or essay question about, Relate this poem to your life. Does this poem speak to you? And um, uh, uh, and I invite them to do that with with everything they read. This needs to connect with you. Uh, it's it, one of the best lessons uh, that that I that I encourage students to learn is everything that you enjoyed reading in your young life, five, ten years from now, you can reread and you'll see it completely differently. It'll be a, a different story. And you can do that basically every ten years. You know. Uh, and, and that's why I say I think good literature has a spirit and it connects with who we are at that point in time. And So that's why you can see things differently at different because you bring the experiences you've had the things that have gone on in your life to anew to that piece of literature mm-hmm. um, uh, And I want students to see that here uh, uh, As they have a class with me
0: Right. So that said you, you talked about how you're going to be giving a TED talk and that you've given other speeches about this topic of the things you know for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: So you're saying we're constantly changing. Oh, yeah. Science proves that. And when you reread a book five or ten years later, you see it completely differently, it connects you differently. How do you know anything for sure? And what are those things you do know for
1: sure? (laughs) The things that you know for sure uh, are never... Uh, what a, what character A does to character B and what the, the plot of the story is. Uh, the, uh, you're, you're constantly learning how to do something. I know, for example, that laughter is really important. Okay. Uh, there's a wonderful line in, uh, Inherit the Wind, um, where, uh, the, the lawyer in Inherit the Wind makes the observation that, uh, uh, laughter gives you the power to think straight. Hmm. And think of how many times when you're able to laugh at something you're able to think about it clearer. I know that for sure. I know that for sure. Um, uh, I can tell you from experience uh and I share with with, with students. Um, visit your grandparents, whenever you can. Have a talk with them. Uh, they're going to help you see some things uh, from a wonderful point of view that you won't see otherwise. Uh, I know that for sure. Okay. Uh, I, uh, on one hand, uh, I I can remember uh, how much it hurt. Uh, that when my dad passed away, and I didn't have a chance to talk with him before that uh, about how much I uh, loved him and how much I appreciated him. Uh, And so I can say for sure, have those conversations with people that matter. Don't let them slip by. Don't think they will always be there. Uh, So the, the things that I'm saying I know for sure uh, are things that uh, that that uh, really matter in life that that really that really matter, and when we can discover those things that really matter, uh, life is so much better lived.
0: Wow, that's awesome! So you've gotten to do some really cool things in your life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned in your little bio about going to Peru. What was yes. the work you did there?
1: The year in 2015 that I went to, summer that I went to Peru, Peru had scored at the bottom of all the countries that took the PISA exam. Mm -hmm. And so we were going to Peru to work with educators, to work with students, to try to bring, uh, there was 35 of us, Uh, what we could to help them deal with uh, with issues. We connected with them early on uh, by doing lesson plans together in our classrooms and, and, and such. I connected with teachers there uh, where I've done global uh, units and such. When we got there, uh, all along the coast of Peru, the students in Lima and all around there did wonderfully on the PISA exam. But as you go up into the Andes, you get up to Cusco, and the further you get up into the mountains, it's much more difficult to get to a classroom. Uh, There's more poverty. Uh, And when families are choosing, okay, uh, um, do we send our kid to school or do we dress our four-year-old daughter up in a cute little Peruvian outfit and have her hold a baby llama and get pictures taken with tourists? and make tips. Well, having something to eat or sending the kid to kindergarten. And so one of the things that we did was we went into those kinds of communities and we helped them build things that would help them make money. For example, in in my year, uh, in a number of different communities, it's a wonderful area just outside Prud to grow flowers. So we built greenhouses so that they could grow flowers year-long And then they connected with vendors in Cusco that they could sell their flowers to. And as their income went up in these villages, Mm -hmm. okay, now it became, we can send our kids to school. And over a period of like three years, the uh, attendance at schools went from like 45, 50% to close to 90%. Wow. Well, now education's making a difference and it can begin happening. And so it was just an incredible experience to, to uh, spend those two weeks. Uh, it, it, it helped me understand, ironically, I mean, we have poverty in America, but working day-to-day with it helped me really understand the devastation of poverty when it comes to uh, how it interacts with education. Uh, and so I've, I've done better work back here uh, uh, because of that. We finished that trip. Uh, on Machu Picchu, uh, I, I never thought in my life that I'd ever get to uh, be on Machu Picchu. But uh, got to.
0: That's a cool place. It
1: was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, breathtaking. Yeah. Um,
0: How did you come in? You come in on a bus, or did you do any
1: hiking? They take a. They take you. Uh, you have to. As a bus driver, you have to have a special license to take people. Up Machu Picchu, mm-hmm. because it, it's 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 not like where you go around in a circle. You couldn't do that in the Andes. I mean, literally, you're zigzagging. Right. And so those turns are horrible, and they can't take you all the way up because the Peruvian government has tried to really maintain the sanctity, maintain the. Uh, um, whole area so that it's like it was when it was discovered and so it's there's about a a quarter of a mile hike to get up the last little uh bit and get up there and then once you're up there it's really gorgeous and they've got (coughs) restaurants and things like that on top um and 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 at the entrance but uh uh, it's and it's huge i mean the the pictures that the iconic pictures that you see of that don't do it justice. Uh, it's uh, it is huge. And to think that they did this without any essential cement or glue to hold, hold these stones together
0: mm-hmm.
1: is uh, just breathtaking.
0: Yeah.
1: I remember one of the surprises was <laughs> for me, was uh, it looked like the, the, the grass was just manicured. And then I discovered there's a whole bunch of llamas that are all over the place. And they're kind of lawnmowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I I wish I could take a couple of those guys home. But that was an incredible trip.
0: Yeah, I got to visit there also a few years back. And my friend was uh, an English teacher there Mm. in Peru. And we went on a trip together. Yeah. We hiked the Inca Trail for five days. Yes. Oh, gosh, yes. It's a lot of llamas. <laughs> oh,
1: my Lord. Isn't that the truth? Uh, it's, it's just, but it's, it's huge. And you can also see why, as you kind of look out on that area, why it wasn't discovered. Uh, mm-hmm. Because the, 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 the those uh, it's not like the Rockies where you kind of gradually go up. It's just almost like they just shoot straight up in the air. And then they're covered with greenery. Right. And it's uh, uh, if you didn't know exactly, basically, how to get there, you couldn't.
0: Yeah, it's crazy, the slope you have to walk up. Yeah, nuts.
1: Uh, but that was an absolutely amazing, amazing trip. Uh, learned a lot.
0: Cool. So, yeah, what, what, what kind of mentality do you take into your summer times? As a, as a teacher, you don't have a classroom, but you still yeah. want to live, live on yeah. your purpose. Well, I think...
1: Yeah. Uh, Teachers would tell you that uh, their, their summers are rarely vacation. Uh, most teachers are doing something to prepare for the following year. Uh, a lot of times, albeit that is a more relaxed approach, uh, but uh, I uh, am constantly thinking about how can I do what I did this year better? Uh, is there something that I could... Uh, teach is there some some way that I could teach better is there something else I need to do is this assignment old now do I need to do something different mm-hmm. so uh, and then plus I'm doing my own reading my own personal reading uh, I'm always reading something that's nonfiction and something that's fiction at basically the same time and I'll have a book of poetry or so I'll, I'll, I'll have a book that uh, uh, I'm rereading uh, so I'm probably reading four or five different things about the same time. Uh, and it's for the, with the idea of how can I use this? What can I learn from it?
0: It's really interesting how you incorporate news and relevancy current yeah. events into your lessons. You, you've mentioned that almost every time we've talked together.
1: Yeah, always.
0: Today you were talking about how you're going to probably assign um, reading a Supreme Court right. decision.
1: Right, right. Uh, beautiful, uh, beautiful decision. Tinker versus Des Moines Independent School District, uh, early '70s, late '60s. I can't remember the exact year, but it's the the, the a wonderful Supreme Court case that deals with the First Amendment. And uh, I think there's a lot of discussion right now about what the First Amendment is and isn't. And rather than uh, Doing anything else, I want students to to read. Here's what the United States Supreme Court has said. This is what the First Amendment is and why, uh, so that they can apply what they learn knowledgeably to what's going on in our in our country and our world.
0: Right. Yeah. So another another thing that has come up several times throughout. Your life recently has been this issue of retiring.
1: Mm.
0: (laughs) Why haven't you retired? And are you looking forward to retiring?
1: Um, To be honest with you, I really have never, at this point in time, this day, I've never thought about retiring. Uh, I mean, I've never said, oh, I need to start doing this because I'm going to retire next year. Or I need to do whatever it is so that I can retire next year. Uh, I really haven't thought about that. Um, uh, I have never thought in two years I'm going to retire. Um, I love what I do. Uh, I love the freedom that my wife and I have during summers now that I'm making uh, choices to keep it as open as possible to do things with her. uh, I'm sure there will be a point in time when I will retire. I don't know what those circumstances are right now. I just enjoy doing what I'm doing. Um, I will, um, this summer, with uh, my wife and I are working on, okay, at some point in time, I won't be doing this anymore. Uh, are we going to be uh, financially sound? Uh, you know, so that we're not a burden to our kids uh, the rest of our, uh, at the end stage of our life. Um, So there'll be things like that 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 we've worked on. But as far as saying, in fact, my daughter at the assembly, when it was announced, uh, school assembly where it was announced that I'm being inducted into the National Teachers Hall of Fame, uh, somebody asked my daughter, Tara, uh, when uh, any, any idea when your dad's going to retire. And Tara's response to them was, you don't know my dad very well. And uh, she said, as long as he connects with students, he'll be teaching. And uh, that's true.
0: You don't have a part of you that's curious about what it, what it would be like to have freedom of your time? And...
1: I've got freedom now. Yeah. I've got freedom now. I can do the things... Uh, not this summer, obviously, but next summer, my wife and I are going to do two things that we've wanted to do uh, for a long time. We wanted to spend uh, four to six weeks in New York City, in Manhattan, uh, without having to take a class there, just the two of us, and live a New York life. Uh, We both love theater. Uh, That's one of the things that brought us together, Uh, There are things that I'd love to do in the New York Public Library, on Ellis Island, in museums and things. Uh, We just want to live the New York life for four to six weeks. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we're going to do that. Uh, As part of that, uh, Moby Dick has been such an important part of uh, my literary background. uh, We're going to uh, visit Melville's home while we're doing that. And uh, the museum, and and uh, go to Nantucket, and, uh, things like that. So we have just some things that that we're going to do each summer.
0: Mm. Oh, that's cool. Yep. So recently, you won the Teacher of the Year for the state of Kansas, uh-huh. and you met President Obama. Yes. Yes. Can you describe that experience? That was
1: amazing. That was amazing. Um, the, uh, we were in the White House. We'd assembled in the, uh, the ballroom. And um, uh, we could kind of see something was going on in the red room and the green room. And so we began to line up in the red room. And then President uh, Obama uh, met each one of us individually. Uh, just what we were called alphabetically by our state. And we talked for three or four minutes, each of us with him. And he was just unbelievably gracious. Uh, He knew something, I swear, about every one of us. Uh, And uh, uh, we just had a nice conversation.
0: What did he know about you? Uh,
1: He knew that I was a Kansas Jayhawk. And uh, uh, at that point in time in 2014, uh, I think for past several years, uh, uh, March Madness uh, uh, he had picked KU to win and uh, uh, we messed up his bracket um, but uh, it was just a uh, uh, very inspirational meeting
0: so I want to talk about your book Uh huh. it's the first published book you've ever written is that yep. true? Um. It took you seven years. Yeah. Why did you start writing it seven years ago, and why was it ready now?
1: Um, I started writing it. uh, I I had written about so many of the issues, suffering, depression, uh, the weight, uh, and and all that had gone through in the 90s. And I journaled it, uh, but I really hadn't taken the time to go ahead and write them into uh, detailed stories. I could reflect back on them and then write them. Uh, and when I became a member of the Greater Kansas City Writing Project, part of the National Writing Project, um, I began to write those things in the, in, in uh, uh, our sessions. Uh, when I would have students uh, do writing with students, I mentioned early uh, the Neighborhood Map Story. Mm-hmm. The Neighborhood Map Story became the chapter in my book where I first talk about my birth on the corner of Linwood and Gilliam in Kansas City, Missouri, and being raised by my grandmother. That That chapter, and if you look about halfway through it, I began talking about 1301 Morton in Great Bend, Kansas, and who lived around, that was my neighborhood map story. Uh, And so as I would do, uh, probably six or seven of those chapters in that book came from writing that I did with students and that I did with the writing project. And, uh, then as people begin, say, Oh my gosh, Mr. Baxter, you need to publish that. Uh, people need to be able to read this. And I began thinking, gosh, I, but there, there's a story behind this. And so that's when I began to think, here's how I'm going to put it together. And where I have the therapy chapters that kind of lead into some of the chapters as we look back on it. it's kind of an organizational kind of a thing. And, uh, it was just, um, uh, I think a lot of it, the reason it took seven years, was it was almost therapy writing it. (laughs) And uh, especially, you know, coming to some conclusions on some issues that I struggled with, uh, the death of our first child, and uh, was one of them. Uh, So it was, um, uh, uh, and finally, uh, in fact, the people that I mentioned in the foreword that really helped review the book and give me feedback about it, just really... uh, uh, Help me see. Now is the time I need to let it go. And uh, so when that happened, I, I'm, uh, It was a release. Uh, everything happened once I made that decision.
0: Well, what's the reason that the world needs to read about your story? Pardon me. What's the reason that the world needs to hear about your story? Yeah. Why did you? Just uh, it's yourself? a
1: story. My story is a story of hope. Uh, because if there was ever a situation where uh, uh, circumstances seemed hopeless, uh, there was a lot of, uh, lot of that in my story. And so I wanted people to see that, uh, that hope is there, that it can happen at any point in time. Uh, here, another issue that, that troubles me. Fifteen years ago, uh, the average age in which depression was diagnosed was 29. Today, it's 14. Uh, people need to understand you can overcome depression. It's something you need to deal with, uh, but you can overcome it. Uh, They need to understand the relationship. Uh, I I, I like to think so many of the character qualities that I talk about are in there Uh, and and how you learn them and how you uh, deal with it gracefully. Um, I think it's important uh, for us to be honest with kids about uh, the things that we had difficulties with. Uh, and I certainly had those, right. um, uh, and I, I, I've had, uh, former students and even adults that I don't know, uh, send me emails and letters and such saying, you know, they didn't know that you could la- that they could laugh so much and cry so much in the same book. That's amazing. And, uh, and so that was something I wanted them to, uh, uh wanted them to see.
0: What's an uh, insight about hope that you would like to leave?
1: I I think probably my favorite thing about hope is is two things, is is this. Research tells us where students have hope, have a teacher that inspires hope, they're 30 times as likely to be engaged in that classroom. Mm -hmm. Hope brings that. Um, I love the line... Uh, the Stephen King novel Shawshank Redemption where the main character tells Red hope is a good thing maybe the best of things and no good thing ever dies I believe that about hope I believe that about hope
0: thank you So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. Do you have any friends that might have enjoyed this episode or the podcast, bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, Follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, Join our intentional group, Purpose Seekers, from the Facebook page. Join your longer-form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sails and right your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming.